Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Tax Alpha Solutions Podcast, hosted by Matt Chancy. Matt is a tax consultant, author, and certified financial planner with almost two decades helping his clients grow their net worth. On the show, Matt brings together an array of specialists to share with you their experience and success along with strategies of the 1%. Matt Chancy is with Coastal One, member FINRA SIPC. And now, here's your host, Matt Chancy. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this is Matt Chancy, and today we're on the Tax Alpha podcast, and we're bringing in Jeffrey Broger. Uh, you know, Jeffrey helps the top real estate agents in the industry, the top 1%, gain more clients through his digital marketing prowess. Um, and he also has expertise in the multifamily space with uh, JJB Multifamily. Additionally, he is a commercial real estate broker with EXP. And so that combined skill set of how to you know, work in the commercial real estate space with multifamily, potentially investors and helping real estate professionals gain more clients. You know, I think that's a great fit for our audience. So I'm happy to have him today. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Matt. I'm looking forward to adding value. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Well, tell me, that is a very interesting, diverse background that you've got yourself in there too. So how did it all start? Where did this come from? Well, you know, it actually all started with a property that was willed to myself and my sisters when I was 16 years old. My uh, father, unfortunately, passed away. And uh, that's a whole nother story in itself, but uh, very, you know, character shaping story, of course, and something that we inherited an asset that we had a choice to either sell. And a lot of people do. Uh, There's even an entire marketing strategy around that called probate. And you uh, basically just hey, unfortunately people die, right? And so you just kind of wait for those things to come up and kids to inherit houses that they don't want or don't want the tax liability for, and then uh, they're likely to sell it. But luckily my sisters and I decided, you know what, we're going to keep this. And uh, so we ended up renting it out and I became a real estate investor in a partnership with my sisters at 16 years old. Uh, 17 years old, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and basically never looked back. I uh, slowly throughout my 20s started to get into direct sales, learn goal setting, learn the value of getting assets to work for you. And I became a, a pretty high income earner at an early age. And through that time, I then was able to buy my sisters out slowly from that property. And uh, you know, throughout my 20s, had a cash flowing a rental property in San Diego that was appreciating uh, as I was living my life, traveling the world, uh, studying abroad, doing college. And uh, then after starting my real estate marketing agency that, you know, the whole time I had that property and, and it was just this amazing uh, conviction building experience of, oh my gosh, my net worth is growing every single year in appreciation with this property and I'm getting paid. They're paying the mortgage. This is insane. So it was a, it was a very, very uh, forming experience. Well, I hope you still have a good relationship with your sisters, knowing that you took them out early in an appreciating asset. <laughs> no, they did great. They uh, they sold their portion and got back into real estate as well. 
So they all have also seen that appreciation in the same Southern California markets, uh, you know, with the same equity amount, you know, and they've done great. Very nice. Very nice. So personal event created the opportunity for you to learn about real estate and you leaned into it. Awesome. And then it sounds like you got into, so there's the JJB multifamily and then there's the the uh, EXP commercial real estate. So which one happened cart before the horse, which one happened next? So those are actually kind of a simultaneous thing. Uh, nowadays, it's it's more common in the real estate industry to join a larger cloud type brokerage and start a team within it. So the, the I've talked to a lot of top real estate professionals on my podcast, uh, shameless plug, it's called Lockbox, check it out. And a lot of them have said, you know, we're moving into this team team world in the real estate industry where you know, we're, we're kind of going away from those independent brokerages that are named after like a single uh, guy or gal in the market that's done really well and now they've gotten their brokerage license. That's mm-hmm. kind of going away. And more so, people are joining companies like Keller Williams, EXP, Compass, these like larger brokerages that have thousands and thousands of agents. And what those larger brokerages offer, it's not so much branding. You know, it's not so much like, hey, I'm a I'm a Sotheby's agent, I'm a this. It's it's more so they offer you the tech platform, the resources, the legal stuff, the infrastructure to run a real estate business very lean without the desk costs of having to have a brick and mortar business and pay to have the lights on and you know pay to have it run. So they offer you a lot of resources. So anyway, cart before the horse, it actually was the cart and the horse at the same time. I, uh, I joined eXp commercial after I saw a lot of my real estate clients moving over to eXp from other brokerages. And then once I got my license and finished the onboarding for eXp commercial, some very few uh, agents then say, I'm Jeff Broger with eXp Commercial. Some do that, but most then craft a little brand and team name that is brokered by eXp Commercial. So JJB Multifamily is my brand team name that I will be building for the foreseeable future. And it's quote unquote brokered by eXp Commercial. So if that makes sense. Understood. That does make sense. Thanks for tying that together, cart and horse. So so you're trying to say that Remax is a dying business model. Is that what I'm hearing you say? There are a lot of dying brokerages out there. Yes. No uh, ill will to be said about any of the other brokerages. I know that there are agents successful on them, but I saw that when my top 1% real estate broker clients from Keller Williams, Compass, and Remax, and all the others were joining this thing called EXP, I decided it was worth a look. And, uh, you know, I bought some shares at like $11 for EXP because I saw like all this happening and then it, you know, blew up from there. And when I got my license, it was a simple choice to, you know, partner with EXP. Gotcha. So I had a little experience. My, uh, one of my business partners used to own a Remax in Orlando, Florida. And so um, I actually am a general contractor and I have two construction companies. We've done about 90 million in new construction in the past seven or eight years and about 3000 rehabs and remodels. But we had a Remax that a lot of that stuff pushed through. It was almost like a front to sell real estate that the construction business kind of went back and forth. So it was related. But so I understand that Remax, that Remax model and that desk space fee vary the way that they charge it. It's It's not about selling real estate. It's about recruiting agents and getting a desk feet off of everybody. It's kind of a strange thing. So totally yeah, yeah. I was going to say nowadays the with the internet, real estate is still local, but yeah. it's also global. And 
to have a brokerage with global reach, like, uh, you know, there are a couple, but, you know, eXp Realty, Keller Williams, Sotheby's, they have these global networks that you can then tap into. And that I think is really the, the future is being able to serve at a hyper-local basis and know your local market and what works there. But also when someone from Singapore has a fintech startup owner that wants to purchase in Laguna Hills, they can lurk through the EXP network and connect with me and get that buyer in touch with me, take a referral fee internationally, and we can all help this buyer stay within the EXP network and get served to the highest degree. So stuff like that is, is really the next level in the future of real estate, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I've seen a little bit of that. I'm not the expert in it that you are by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it, it looks like kind of where the model's going. It's definitely changing from what it used to be. So I, I absolutely agree with that. So I'm going to connect a dot and I'm going to make a guess and maybe I'm wrong. So I would say that the focus of your commercial real estate practice is multifamily. So, it is by the name. Not, it says it on the tin. Not a big leap there. Not a big leap. But tell me a little bit about that. What's your strategy in the multifamily space and how are you helping customers with multifamily assets? Sure. So with multifamily, it's it's a very compelling asset for a lot of reasons. Hedge funds and banks invest in class A multifamily for a reason. And when you take the traditional real estate Burr model, buy it, renovate it, rent it, refinance it, and you transform it from a single door to 500 doors, the multiplication of that that math problem becomes very enticing from an investment standpoint. So you do carpets and paint on one unit, that's one thing, you can maybe raise rent 100 bucks. You do carpets and paint on 500 units, you can raise rent maybe 50 bucks or 100 bucks on 500 units. And then technically you could then sell that in a 12-month period or accelerate depreciation over a five-year period and sell it as an exit for a you know a thirteen time plus multiplier on that improvement. So the multipliers throughout the process and the formulas are what really enticed me to look into multifamily and begin brokering it, begin finding off market deals, begin working with investors. So that was the initial hook. Well, once I dove in, I learned that I really love the the communication with the investors much more than on the residential side. Uh, there's just less emotion. Uh, on the residential side, you're working retail hours and um, you know, you're know you working holidays, weekends, uh, all that. And hey, shout out to all the residential agents. I, many of them are my clients and uh, you know they have been able to then recruit agents that handle more of that stuff. And they're in the Monday through Friday or the day-to-day in the office, like operating the team. But for me, I really wanted something that was uh, more focused on commercial, professional, nine to five. And uh, so that's why I chose it. And then you know, regarding multifamily, really the unique value proposition that we offer is I come as a marketer first and a real estate broker second. So I actually specialized in helping to generate leads, spend millions of dollars in ad spends, getting positive conversions from real estate funnels and finding off-market deals for five years before I even got my real estate license. So now there's really kind of two agents that, that I see. There are either marketing agents or there's listing agents. And that, that's kind of it. You know, that there are either agents that find the listings, find the off-market deals, find the buyers, and they're they're doing more of like a lead generation influencer type of public figure approach where they they have thing things and opportunities coming to them. But that takes a lot of time to build up those systems to manage them, to run them properly. So 
instead of doing that and then needing to now go actually physically list every single property that comes in as an opportunity or go show every single buyer around, typically agents like that partner with other agents to do the listings, do the showings, do you know the, the buyer consultations. And so for me, I am totally a marketing agent. You know, I, I run a real estate business from, from my office in my, I, I really don't need to go drive buyers around a ton and do the other things because I'm finding one of the most valuable things, if not the most valuable thing, which is the deal. And uh, I'll give it back to you after this, but, you know, typically the, the most important thing in a, in a real estate transaction is the deal. Because when I go to real estate investor conferences, everyone talks about how they're, they're not capital constrained, but they're deal constrained. Right, you can always find the money. You can always find the construction, the GC, the you know, the all all the elements will align if you got a deal. So that's what I specialize in. Gotcha. Understood. I've never heard anybody lay it out that way, but I agree with you. The marketing versus the listing type side. There's different roles that are people playing in that in, in that deal today, and I I get exactly what you mean. Interesting perspective on that. So walk me through kind of a, a sample of. Um, if the deal is the most important thing to a real estate transaction, and I don't disagree with you, by the way, um, how do you find the good deals? What kind of deals do you find? And then, you know, walk walk the average, if an investor were listening to this, because I'm sure there's people that are going to listen that are going to say, I want to invest. I want the benefits of investing in real estate without doing all the work of investing in real estate. And I'm trying to find somebody to partner with to help me do this. Right. And sure. you sound like a guy that, that can help them do that, honestly. So, but walk them through, how are you going to do that? How do you find those off-market properties? What's the average deal size look like? And how does that play out? Sure. So I'm based in Southern California and there are pros and cons to the Southern California market. Uh, some of the pros are the appreciation and the stability in downturns. So appreciation is through the roof out here. I mean, 20% year over year consistently. And so then within four years, you're doubling your money, right? But uh, then the stability in a downturn, these are markets where when there is a downturn, even like in the 2008 recession, there were some emerging markets like Phoenix, Las Vegas that got crushed. Their housing prices got cut in half. But out here, there was maybe a 10, 20% dip in some of the more popular markets in California because there's just tons of people that want to live here. It's not this new emerging market. It's an established market. So there's that when we're talking about risk aversion. Uh, it's a really safe place to preserve and park your money. Also, it's a place where people want to be. So um, I'll get to like deal size and everything in a second, but just talking about the pros and cons, the huge pro of being in a market where people actually are visiting constantly and want to be is that you can transform a long-term rental in multifamily into a short-term rental and explode the cap rate. I mean, if you're talking about cap rates out here that are three or 4%, which is common and seems like, oh my gosh, you know, people are putting stuff online for 2.75 cap. And mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it's like, how are you supposed to make money on that? Right. But it, when you factor in number one, appreciation, but number two, repositioning that long-term rental asset as an Airbnb. Oh, I live in Huntington beach. I'm a couple blocks from the beach, uh, for example. Uh, now let's get into the deal size and the types of opportunities. I have an off-market six unit where the front is a three bed, two bath house. The back is five units, two bed, one bath. So six units, the seller wants 2.9 to 3 million if they list it, but they'd sell it off market for like 2.7. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Still not like this crazy, like 65 cents on the dollar type of deal, but I have direct line to the seller off market and we could settle that for around 2.7. So now we're looking at, you know, what would that be per door? Let's say 275 divided by six, that's 458,000 per door. So, you know, when you're looking at that current cap rate, that would actually be around a 4.7 cap. And you know that's decent. You could then go in, give cash for keys, renovate this, and do carpets and paint. I would estimate fifteen to twenty thousand per unit. You're not doing crazy Taj Mahal renovations here, right? You're doing carpets, paint, updating appliances, maybe, but probably not if they're okay. And then you make it. You have to furnish it, make it look cute for Airbnb. Here's the difference. Here's where the rubber meets the road in mm-hmm. a market like California. Instead of renting it out for $2,000 a month, which you know we, we do 2,000 a month divided by 30 days, that's $66 a night. You could rent it out on Airbnb 20 nights a month for $300 a night. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, the, the returns, the cap rates, everything just looks stupid on a spreadsheet. It's like, <laughs> it, it's the, the returns are insane. The appreciation is insane. And then I'll, I'll finalize it with this. When you factor in inflation into a pro forma, immediately, if you did no renovation and still did a long-term lease agreement, it would still make sense to park your money there because real estate historically has beaten inflation. So when we're looking at 7% inflation and real inflation based on the 1985 metric being closer to 15%, when you're in a market where the real estate is appreciating 20, at least your money's safe there. So a lot of reasons, in my opinion, to invest in California. Um, despite the fact that many investors here are looking at a state, I try to explain this process to them like, but right around your corner, you have one of the best opportunities in the world. So uh, does that answer your question? No, that's great. That's a good, that, that I think there's a lot of meat on that to help them. I'm very familiar with what you're talking about. We call that a pricing arbitrage, right? When somebody prices it for long-term and you convert it to short-term, there's, it's, it's an arbitrage opportunity in the market from a pricing standpoint. So, um, you know, but that's uh, kind of new school versus old school, right? <laughs> How people looked at yeah. some of the real estate before. Makes a lot of sense. That's great. So let me, so that's awesome in the multifamily fix. So as a commercial real estate broker, if you're contacting that person, that off-market deal and, you know, for the lower price for the 2.7. So I'm assuming the goal is not to be a listing broker on that transaction and take a commission when you sell the deal, because they're trying to do it on an unrepresented basis and save those commissions. So they didn't cost them there. Am I right? Very astute point. So here, here's typically how it works. We actually wholesale the deal on the front end. We okay. build a relationship with our investor that goes in with us because we just saved them 200 grand. Sure. And many times- value then, add, who, who doesn't like value add day one? Lots of value right. added day one, right? Well, money money's made in real estate on the buy. Mm-hmm. Money's made when you buy, right? You can you could buy high and recover. It just takes more time. But when you really put yourself in a good position on the buy, that's where you want to be. So that's the, the value add on the front end is we actually don't do it on market. Uh, we find distressed properties and we lock them under contract and then assign them to investors uh, for an assignment fee. So okay. my business as a real estate company is still making money. It's just not a commission through the, the, the listing process because in that case, we would then have to then charge them full market, right? So with that being said, Many times that then later transpires into a listing 
at full market after renovation in either if it's a 12-month exit, that's one year, or in three to five years after a full stabilization and depreciation cycle. So we have you know built a relationship with that investor. They probably have other properties they might want us to list anyway. So it's a great in, uh, but we've found that it's a, it's a great method to establish the connection. Makes a lot of sense because the listing you're going to get on the backside on a full rip is going to be on a much higher appreciated or much more valuable asset. So I like if it comes to smaller commissions and bigger commissions, I'm a fan of bigger commissions. Call me crazy. <laughs> right. And it's it's a long-term play. I mean, uh, right. you know, going in for the immediate listing where it's enticing from a, a real estate business side and, you know, you can manage more listings at a time than you can manage buyers. Uh, so it's, it's just known you leverage your time more. And it's enticing for me to instead have the communication with the seller. Why don't we renovate this? Why don't we bring it up to full market? Why don't we you know, list it with me? And that is an option. But I've found that there are many other brokerages out there doing that. The Marcus and Millichaps, you know, the, the CBREs, and they have relationships with these types of, of uh, you know, five to 50 to 75 unit types of property owners. So they're already having that conversation, but uh, fewer conversations are happening from a wholesale perspective on the multifamily side, where you're finding a distressed property, you're, you're building a connection with the seller on a different note saying, look, you won't have to pay fees. You could sell instantly. You don't have to worry about a, a ton of people tromping through, like we're going to do this off market, super quiet and just get it done. And so it's, it's a different approach then you're delaying the gratification of that listing to doing it with the investor that you actually bring in on the buy side later. So uh, I, I believe in long-term payoff. And uh, you know, for me, I know that I'll be in real estate for the rest of my life. I mean, this is something that I thought about getting my real estate license at 18 and I, I delayed it and I finally then got it in my later 20s. But now that I have it, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So I'm fine with, you know, kicking that can down the road for the, for the listing later and just using my ability. Why not tap into my marketing ability and everything that I can do now today and help investors find off market deals now and establish the connection on that now. So that's where I'm at. hundred percent agree. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not. Uh, have you ever heard of the Stanford, you know, marshmallow research study about the benefits uh, of delayed gratification? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you sound like a poster child. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, t- well, I'll tell you what, what Matt's referring to is, you know, they give, they have a bunch of kids leave a classroom, they come back, there's a marshmallow on their desk and they don't tell them anything about it. And a ton of kids eat it right away and uh, others wait. And then the instructor comes back and explains, you know, those of you that wait, waited are statistically proven to have a predisposition to delayed gratification and you should be more successful over your lifetime. The funny thing is at a Cutco conference, they did this. They put a little candy, wrapped candy on our chair at break when we went to lunch and came back. You think I sat down and, and held that in my hand and waited for the instructor? <laughs> you ain't I gobbled that thing right up. <laughs> so this is learned. It's, it's hope for everyone out there. Even though you might be genetically predisposed for instant gratification, you can train yourself otherwise. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate that. Um, awesome. So this is super interesting. So when I was reading your bio, one of the things I picked up on there is you, you talked about for the sellers that you're working with, the ability to offer a tax smart exit. So um, right. is that something that you can share? Sure. Now, through my 
Lockbox podcast where I've interviewed top real estate professionals, investors, capital firms. I've learned so much. My network nowadays is incredible, and I'm extremely grateful that the uh, men and women of the of the stature have spent that time with me over the last year, and I've learned so much. So in that, I have learned some really interesting tax strategies, not only specific to real estate, but even selling a business, selling crypto, like selling you know all kinds of different high uh, appreciation assets that would otherwise be subject to capital gains tax. Sure. So the most common in real estate is a 1031 exchange. And everyone knows that in the, in the real estate space, when the 1031 became more popular, it was like this light bulb game changer, incredible. You know, the current administration has talked about potentially limiting that or taking it away. And, and the, it's, it's definitely in, in the sights of, of different policymakers that are attempting to increase taxation in different ways that they see 1031 as this, this loophole that needs to be addressed. So a less known one, and uh, disclaimer, I'm not the expert. But uh, what I do is I have conversations and then if there is a situation where this uh, investor fits and it makes sense to make an introduction, I introduce them to the expert that's in my network. So um, this is called the Deferred Sales Trust. And you know the Deferred Sales Trust is an incredible tool where the 30-second elevator pitch is that you can, if it's over a million dollars net proceeds put that money into a trust that is specifically structured in a way that defers taxes. And then if you would like to, let's say you sold a $20 million multifamily property and you didn't want to do the 1031 because my gosh, now you have 45 days to identify and 180 days to close on a next like kind asset. Not only do you have specific timeframes where you might have to get married to something you don't really love just to hit that time frame. But now you also have to do it in a like-kind asset, like-kind investment property. So instead of that, you could put it into this deferred sales trust that has no timeline. So you could actually just keep it there indefinitely, uh, diversify it into stocks and bonds and let it keep up with, with inflation. And you could then do a slight dividend from it, like just take 60,000 a year. And that you pay taxes on that once it comes out, but you're not paying tax on the lump sum that's growing. And you could also then create an LLC and the trust ta- funds the LLC that then buys another piece of real estate or that buys a business. You could actually transform a real estate proceed sale into a business funding transaction. So you could go totally separate. Um, you could also do this with crypto. If you have huge crypto gains, you don't know what to do with it. You could put it into the deferred sales trust. Uh, if you have a business sale, you sell a business for $10 million, state of California wants to take half. Well, you, instead you could put it into the deferred sales trust. So it's a very versatile tool. It's lesser known. And uh, it's something that once again, I'm not the expert on, but within my network, I can get you in touch with the right people to help structure that. And um might provide another option for, for saving you from some capital gains tax that you don't need to pay. Yep. Yeah. Very familiar with those guys that falls under code IRC 453. It's a deferred installment sale, but yeah, absolutely a different, it is certainly an alternative and, and in your neck of the woods in Southern California, it's, it's a, it's a very commonly talked about strategy. I don't think in other parts of the country, they talk about it as much, but then again, I don't think in other parts of the country, they have as many, uh, tax or capital gain issues as California does due to our, due to the rapid appreciation that you discussed earlier in the conversation. So, yeah, I mean, and, and we're talking to the tune of 30, 35%, just gone right away. Yeah. So 
You know, it's crazy. It's, it's having as many tools as, you know, I try to tell clients all the time, look, it's um, these things are all just tools and you have to look at the fact pattern and see if they fit where you are today and what you ultimately want to accomplish long-term. And maybe this is the tool to get you where you want to be. But uh, it's, it's great that as a real estate guy, I don't find many people have those understanding. I think that's awesome. It's good on you to learn it and understand how to bring it to your clients as a tool. Thanks. So, yeah. And that's the way I look at it. I look at it as an end to end solution. I don't want to just be a widget in the process. I want yeah. to build connections with investors and offer them solutions from start to finish. I mean, I don't know if if many real estate agents remember it from the the testing and stuff, but we have a fiduciary responsibility to our clients. <laughs> and so what that means is that we have to make sure that they they know what they're doing with the money after the proceeds. And sometimes it catches people off guard when I'm on the phone with them and I ask them the simple question, you know, okay. So how much do you, do you want for the property? Okay. We get that price. Okay. Awesome. Uh, what are you going to do with the money? And they're like, uh, it's not in your business. What I'm going to do with it. And it's like, okay, I understand that, sir. I have a fiduciary responsibility to you to make sure that you're not hit with any extra tax liability that you're unaware of, that you make sure that you have a plan for this, for these proceeds after the sale. And so it's, it's funny when I catch them off guard and they they might be a little bit rude to me at first, but then they realize, oh, I'm talking to someone who has my best interest in mind. Interesting. I should probably tell them that I have no idea what I'm going to do with it. And I'm just really excited about all the appreciation I want to sell. Right. And so then I can help structure that plan and get them in touch with the right professionals that can help them. Well, the issue there is not the fiduciary standard. And I agree with you. The issue there is that a real estate license is a 30 day license. And to become good at real estate is to have an internal drive to be a lifelong learner and to get better at what you do. Because mm. just having a license in and of itself makes you actually probably more dangerous than valuable. <laughs> True. But, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. So it's, but is that's the function of you leaning into it as an opportunity and saying, how do I get the most out of this? How do I really add value to my clients? And that's, that's just the way you're wired. That has nothing to do with a real estate person in general. But there's a lot of businesses, you know, insurance license takes 30 days to get. A securities license takes 30 days to get. You know, imagine if they gave a doctor a medical license after 30 days and said, hey, you know what? Here's your scalpel. Make sure and learn some good medicine stuff over the next eight to 10 years so you can really help people. <laughs> Sounds crazy, right? But I mean, that's it's it's kind of analogous, honestly. Like you're asking somebody because what does a doctor take care of our wealth, and what is what are we talking about taking care of somebody's wealth? Those things are pretty interrelated, right? So you know, it's uh, eh, we need the standard needs to change, and it sounds like you're somebody that's leading the charge to to change the standard. So that's awesome. Tell me how you're helping those 1% real estate agents be better. Now I know how you're being better. Tell me how you help those 1% real estate agents be better. Sure. And that's really how the entire marketing process started with what I do today. It, it actually, five years ago, was noticing this trend. Well, first of all, it started with a desire to escape the nine to five and have a business that I could run from anywhere in the world. That was the goal. Did you read Four Hour Work Week somewhere in there? Of course. <laughs> okay, no worries. And then I, I bought the hardback and the audio and studied it and re-listened to it. Played it until it bled. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I, I am grateful to say that I built that life. I was able to manage a company, earn US dollar, live in a country like Bali or Southeast Asia, where you live like a king for $1,500 a month and your company's you know, doing very well in the United States, 
you know, charging retainers based on the US dollar standard and you're living on the Indonesian rupiah. And so it's, uh, it was a very amazing time. It was actually cut short by COVID, but, uh, you know, may- maybe we'll get back out there pretty soon now that things have kind of alleviated. I'm thinking about doing a stint in Costa Rica here pretty soon, but that was the life that I wanted. I wanted to have that freedom ever since studying abroad in college. I really loved traveling and although I loved real estate, honestly, the thing that held me back from getting my license was that it was local. It was very local. And once you get the ball rolling and you have clients in that market and you do have success, you're kind of tied to it. It's one of the hardest things to do is to, then you need to build systems and teams around you to be able to escape it and just go on vacation. So because it didn't align with my my lifestyle design that I was creating for myself, I, I put that on pause for a little while. And uh, I decided to instead start a real estate marketing agency. And so what I noticed after doing coaching and consulting, they told me, you have to niche down, you have to niche focus and solve one problem for one industry and even just one segment of one industry. So in the beginning, I saw, wow, there are, you know, the 80-20 rule in real estate really applies. It's probably even more like a 90-10 where 10% of the agents are producing 90% of the results. And so I said, but what about even like the top 1% are producing 90% of the top 10. So it, it was like the, the Pareto principle of the Pareto principle. And um, I thought, you know what? There are 1.5 million real estate agents in the US and Canada. If I were to only help the top 1%, that's still 15,000 agents out there. And I looked at my you know retainer per month model and I did the, did the math and was like, out of a totally thriving business, if I only if all I did was focus on shaving off one percent of this market, right? And so that was the goal. Is like, okay, all my messaging, all of my products, all of my services are geared towards solving problems that only the top one percent real estate and mortgage brokers have. And it evolved into mortgage later, but really, first it was only real estate. And so what we do is we help them with all the digital stuff. I noticed that a lot of the top 1% guys and gals were in their 50s. They had been running radio and billboards and TV, local TV ads for a decade or two decades. And they, uh, they really struggled with all of the online lead generation, all of the SEO, uh, all of the, the website, the, the ad technology, um, integrating their MLS into their website in a clean way, getting people to the website, getting them to convert into leads, having the follow-up happen, all that nitty-gritty digital marketing stuff that uh, honestly, at the very beginning, I didn't know a ton about, but I had a relationship or two that believed in me. And they said, hey, Jeff, if you're willing to you know, kind of like give us a discount. We'll be like an early beta customer. We'll tell you our problems and you can just go solve them. Right. And uh, I said, that's what I want. Like, I want you to vent to me. And then I will go think about how I can solve that with a, a different type of service, product, so like system, philosophy, whatever. So that's how it started. And um, from that early process, we had a, a case study that popped out of there where an uh, early client spent only $500 a month for six months and they received a 12 time return on ad spend. So once we had like developed the whole system where it was generating leads and then it was converting them and following up with them automatically and keep routing it to the right agent, then we actually were able to track all of the closings and they closed five homes in the six months 
for a total of a 12 time return uh, in commissions on the ad spend. So after that, we were featured on different blogs and started to get some press and it just took off from there. But it really started with me thinking, how can I solve the problems that the top 1% real estate professionals are having? Um, and you know, after five years, we have some solutions there. That's awesome. That is great. Thanks for sharing. And I love the the case study in there, making it tangible so people really understand what you work with. So I'm gonna make a I'm gonna go on a limb and I'm probably wrong. Any chance you're a surfer? I am. <laughs> Southern California, Indonesia, Costa Rica. I'm like, I bet he's chasing the wave. <laughs> yep. Very astute observation once again. <laughs> so curious, what did you study in college? Business management and marketing. Okay. Okay. So you did have an idea that this is the direction it was going to go potentially or something along the way, or at least once you've got that, that bug, you prepped and planned and educated yourself for it. That's awesome. So, and I love the solving problems, you know, uh, everything. I, I agree with you the same way. I didn't know what my business is going to be when I started, but I found people that I knew that had what I perceive to be problems from my perspective, hopefully they perceived them as problems from their perspective. And I'm like, let me see if I can solve those. And hey, you know what? Decade later, that turned into a business model. So it kind of worked out. So I totally understand it. Appreciate yep. that. That's what it's all about. I mean, I think Tim Ferriss said something like 90% of entrepreneurs create a product where there's no market for it. <laughs> That's why so many businesses fail. I watch Shark Tank and I cry sometimes and the guy, the, the sharks are up there going, but that's not a problem. They're like, we made this thing and they love it and they've spent all their life savings on it. They're so attached to it emotionally. And the sharks are like, but I don't think that's even a problem. Like, is it a problem that people just don't understand? So I agree with that so much. So. so I think something that would be valuable to any listener is that concept. So I'd, I'd like to expand upon that from a marketing perspective, if it's okay sure. with you. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So- when we're talking about marketing in the sense of the simple cocktail conversation, oh, so what do you do? If you are a uh, CPA, you might say I'm a CPA, right? But if instead you thought really critically about the problems you solve, and then you crafted that into a headline of what you do, it might be much more powerful. For example, I help high net worth individuals uh, avoid taxation through legal loopholes. And maybe that's that loophole word isn't resonating with you. You would noodle it until you got it to exactly what you wanted it to be. But instead of saying, I'm a CPA, you say solution, 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 specific person, right? Because guess what? When you start saying that to the world, what'll happen is people will say, oh, no way. Interesting. I was looking for, you know, hey, I have this this little problem and it'll create business from you like crazy no matter where you go. So people always ask me like, man, how do you generate so much business and like so many connections throughout your life? Just golfing on flights anywhere I go. And that I say that exact thing is when they say, what do you do? I say, I help top 1% real estate brokers with automated lead generation and follow-up. And because it's so specific and it's so solution-driven, either they know someone that's a real estate broker and they get me in touch as a referral, mm -hmm. or they actually are in real estate and are like, oh, no way. Like, and then, or, hey, I have this other type of business outside of real estate. Would it work for me? 
and then it creates another type of outside real estate opportunity for me. So uh, that I would just encourage you to uh, not be vague about your title and really think critically and craft the, a headline as an answer for that very common question. What do you do? 100% agree. And I'll take it one step farther. If anybody ever asks me what I do, I always say, you know what? I always find it more interesting when you tell me what you do first. And when they tell me what they do, I craft my message to fit within their message. I find an opportunity in the way they position themselves in the marketplace so that I have an opportunity with them. So nice. Um, but I kind of I have a few different businesses. So, and you do too. You're not wearing just one hat there. You got different stuff going yeah, on. So, absolutely. you know, because sometimes they might be more in the, they want to buy a multifamily property, right? Like if you let them talk for just a second, maybe they're like, they said multifamily and I want to be a real estate investor. I am and gave it away. And then you could pivot and lean a little bit more that way. But I'm not telling you anything you don't know. No, Here's all I know. Great point. Here's all I know is you and I read too many of the same books and we should just start saving money by sharing them back and forth. (laughs) Happy to. Yeah. I I think uh, we definitely read some of the same books and, and uh, to rattle a couple off the slight edge is one of my favorites. Highly recommend it by Jeff Olson. Okay. Um, Psycho cybernetics also amazing from Maxwell Maltz. And uh you know, I'd say those are honestly the top two. I could list so many and a lot of them real estate specific, a lot of them, right. Business specific, but those two were really instrumental in my entrepreneurial journey. Psycho cybernetics talks about the concept of having your external features altered, but still having your inner identity feel the same way about your self image and the importance of it's actually written. Most business books are written by like entrepreneurs or successful real estate agents. This was written by a plastic surgeon in like the fifties, because Mm -hmm. he noticed that when he would fix someone's cleft lip or fix someone's nose, they would still look in the mirror and see the deformity, or they would still walk into a room and feel self-conscious. Like Mm -hmm. everyone's looking at me in a negative way. And he discovered that there's significant internal work, which needed to happen in order for them to truly complete the transformation. Very fascinating book. Totally applies to business and everything today because if you don't do that internal work, you're, it's like a thermostat. You know, you might turn up the heat a little bit in your income, but it'll kick on the AC and bring it back down because you don't believe that you deserve that. And there's all kinds of subconscious stuff going on with that. That's a huge one, Psycho-Cybernetics. Uh, and then Slight Edge, number two. Slight Edge by Jeff Olson just basically sums up the consistency concept that so many other personal development speakers have talked about like the compound effect. And, you know, there's so many of them that they've termed it. It's like doing a a same thing over and over again, over a consistent period of time. But the way that Jeff Olson writes it in the slight edge, for whatever reason, resonated with me far more than any of the other books and just hit it home. So uh, those are two classics that I would highly suggest. It's I'm on a negotiating kick right now, and there's too many to mention because I know we're running short on time, but I want to say one thing on your point There are many people and many books that I think um, have themes, right? About like what you talked about, about what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to get. And I don't think as a human, we grasp the way that everybody else, like, for example, I've gone through about five or six books on negotiation techniques and strategies and stuff like that recently, but they all presented in a little different way. So one book on the concept or the theme may not sink through, but like you just said, you know, I've heard it presented in a few different ways, but this guy's delivery of it really made it connect for me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're going to try to absorb some content and you really want to pick it up, 
don't give up just because the first book or the first thing you read didn't stick and didn't really like set you on fire. There might be somebody else that delivers the same kind of content with a little different positioning that might be easier for you to absorb. So I would agree with that. Yep. Never split the difference. So it's definitely in there, right? One of those five. Definitely in there. Yep. It's great. So as a matter of fact, I've done some of the other work on their, uh, their uh, workbooks and podcasts and some other stuff kind of getting into it. So it's, that's some great stuff right there. Great stuff. So, well, Jeffrey, I know we've, we're running out of time here today, but I want to thank you for being on any closing thoughts, tell people how they find you. So you can find us online. Uh, We make it pretty easy. So if you type in steezy.digital into Google, that's S T E E Z Y dot digital. Uh, there's no .com on there, just steezy.digital. It'll come right up. And steezy, if you're curious, stands for style with ease. And uh, JJV Multifamily, you can also find very easily on Google. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to me directly, Jeff at steezy.digital is a, a great one. So thank you so much for having me on, Matt. Appreciate it. It's awesome. It was a great time. Thanks everyone for listening today. This was the Tax Alpha Podcast with Matt Chansky, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Tax Alpha Solutions brought to you by Matt Chancy. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts.